Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We are in a series called Roadblocks, and uh, you've heard two very powerful messages. If you've been with us the last two weeks, you've heard a message, two messages on forgiveness. Uh, And I know that that's hit you. And you've had to reconcile some of the unforgiveness that you've had in your life, whether it's for yourself, some things you've done, or to others. Uh, And I would say if you have not and you haven't had a chance to hear those messages, I would encourage you to go back. We're on YouTube and Facebook and you can find us on podcasts. We're we're everywhere. So if you need to go listen to those sermons by Pastor Milt and Pastor Daniel, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, And then the next couple weeks, you're going to hear from Pastor Jesse talking about the fear of the unknown and Pastor Jeff talking about pride. Uh, today, you get me, and uh, we're going to talk about self-centeredness, and I could think of no better person to teach you about that than myself. Uh, obviously, one who's fairly self-centered, but our hope in identifying these roadblocks for you is that by addressing them and to showing you what God teaches and how to avoid them or how to cure yourself from them, you will be able to move along the path of your spiritual journey wherever you are. Because if we don't heed these roadblocks, then we're going to end up like the sheep. Maybe not hit by an actual train, although that's possible, I guess. But you're going to hit these roadblocks. And roadblocks are there to, to, to stop you. And we don't want that. And so today when we look at self-centeredness, self-centeredness is a deceptive roadblock. Because we believe that if, if we aren't looking out for ourselves, then no one else is. And we believe that we need to be the ones that look out for our own best interest. It's innate in us. It's something that no one had to teach. They, it just is. Starts at the very beginning. Because if we don't look out for us, then we may not get what we deserve. And it does, self-centeredness does come as naturally as breathing, honestly. And to, to prove that, I, I tried to figure out a way to make this work, and I couldn't do it, and I'm sorry, but I said, you just have to use your imaginations. If I was to take a picture of this group of people here, and then put it up on the screen, who's the first person you'd look for? Probably it me. Probably you. We're all like that. We're hardwired like that. And, and the, the law of the world is this. Look out for yourself first. That's what it's about. And self-centeredness is a, it's a foundational problem in most of your relationships. Most of the problems that you have in relationships come back to your self-centeredness. In your marriage, the problems that you have there in your parenting, in your relationships with your neighbors, your coworkers, you can drill it down most likely to self-centeredness. And today we're gonna look at a couple ways in which I have come to understand and am currently working through as cures for self-centeredness. Now, not to brag, but as soon as we leave here, and you guys go your separate ways. I'm going to be packing myself and a bunch of other people, my family, 
into two cars, and we're going to go on a family vacation. We're going to North Carolina. We're very excited about that, uh, but it is a long trip, and if you have a large family, you know that, well, on a pastor's salary, you can't fly everybody there. Okay, so you load up and you take the road trip, and that's part of the fun. It's exciting. You get to see some countryside. It's beautiful over on the, the east side of the United States. But we do have to take two cars because there's like eight of us going, and well, I don't have a vehicle that can fit all the eight people plus luggage plus food and everything. So we're taking two cars. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to play the little follow the leader game. Now, it's not as imperative as it once was to make sure as the follower you're paying attention to where the leader's going. It's pretty important though because if I pull off for gas and the person following me who in all of my hopes it's my 18 year old daughter so that my wife can ride with me and we can hold hands all the way to North Carolina. (laughs) More than likely based on her own feelings she'll probably be driving in the other car and she'll put me in the back. That's just fine and probably right. But if I was to pull off as the lead car and the other person was just to keep going, we'd have a big problem. If the person behind wasn't paying attention and she just zoomed right by me, we've got a problem. And back when I was a kid, and most of you in here, for some of you younger people, you're going to find this hard to believe, but there was a day you couldn't just punch a few things or tell something in your phone to figure out directions where you were at any point in the world. You would just be lost. And I, we've, I've taken vacations like that where I've been the guy in the back and I had no idea where I was going. I knew to follow the silver van that was in front of me. And at any point that that silver van wasn't in front of me to panic and try to find that silver van. And sure enough, every once in a while, I would zoom right by that silver van. There would be a little honking and I'd realize what I was doing, and I'd back back up and get behind it. Because the lead car knows the way. The lead car is the best way. And we're going to talk about that today. Our big idea is simply this. You can't follow Christ if you're in the lead. You can't follow Christ if you're in the lead. Now, we've already established that I'm a very selfish person. And uh, it helps, I can say that because, well, I am. And I've, I've come to understand it, accept it. And not accept it in that I'm not working on it, but just know that that's, that's built in. I'm, I'm selfish. And I've found two things that I want to share with you today that are helping me to get through my self-centeredness. My first thing is my kids. They are breaking me of the self-centeredness. Not like in a nice way. So, my kids are the first thing that has really started to break my self-centeredness. And it probably should have been my marriage. But when I got married, I thought, hmm, now there's two people that are going to help me get what I need and move forward. I was wrong. I mean, I should serve her, but she's right over here, by the way. Be careful what I say. But my kids, they didn't give me a choice, right? Rainy was nice. She was, she was very compassionate and giving and loving, all the things that I probably wasn't. But my kids, they popped out of the womb crying, screaming. 
not because they knew that they had ruined my life, <laughs> but because they needed things. And they were demanding things, food and diapers and baths and toys and all types of stuff. And one of the things that this has become very evident in my life, one of the great uh, humility-bearing moments, one of the great let-go-of-self-centered moments in my life is vacations. Vacations. When I take a vacation with my family, it's wonderful. See, you have to understand, before kids, to be honest, vacations were relaxing. Vacations were peaceful. On vacations, I could do whatever we wanted to do. Sleep in, go out to eat. But then kids came along. And they just started taking that away. They didn't want to go to a nice restaurant. They wanted to go to McDonald's. All, all that I wanted was being stripped away. And unfortunately, what I found myself was resentful on vacations because I wanted things my way. But I realized how sinful and self-centered that was. This vacation's not for me. My vacations are for, these vacations are for the kids. So that they might have great memories. So that they might have something that they can hold on to and then take into their next journey in life. And so the truth is, this trip, we, said, we told our 18-year-old daughter who just graduated high school, we said, that you get to pick where you want to go for vacation, okay? You can pick wherever you want to go in the country, let's go on a cruise. You can pick, you can go to the west, you can go to the east, we can go on a cruise. We can do whatever you want to do. Do you want to go to the mountains? How about a cruise? You want to do all these things? She chose North Carolina. She wanted to see mountains. We, we said, what about we go to the east side of, of the country? It's beautiful over there. We've seen the Rockies a lot. Let's go this way. She said, okay. I would have chosen a cruise. <laughs> but she didn't. She wanted to go there. So we said, okay, let's do that. Let's rent a house. We're going we're gonna to hike. It's going to be fantastic. And what I've told myself and what I'm mentally prepared to do is to celebrate them and to serve my family during this trip because it's not about me. And I would, I would appeal to you that that is the, the greatest source of joy that you're ever gonna get, serving others. And I know that I'm not alone in here. I know that you guys have all struggled with this, struggled with self-centeredness, struggled with demanding your own way without considering the needs and desires of others. It's the law of the earth. The law of the earth says serve yourself. But as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we should recognize the more fulfilling path is to serve others. Because God shows us that serving others is his model. Which brings me to the second cure, and it is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the cure for your self-centeredness. We're going to be in Philippians 2 today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take it out. If you don't have a Bible, I believe we've got some Bibles around here that if you need one, we would love for you to take one of these that are around under the chairs. I know they're upstairs. If you can't find one and you need one after service, come find me and I'll get you one because we want to make sure that you've got a copy of God's Word 
always. Uh, we would also share with you, if you don't know about it, the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. It's not from us, but we like to give it away anyway. Uh, also a great resource for you. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be looking today. The Philippians were just normal people. They were new believers. They were people that, that Paul had visited, had shared the gospel with, had come to know him, and they were, they were developing in their Christian faith. And, and as people do, their self-centeredness started to jump in and bickering and fighting amongst themselves. These new believers began to take place. And so Paul not being able to, to visit them personally, wrote a letter. In verses one and two, we, we see where Paul starts with the correction of these Philippians, and it's with Christ. And I want you to see what we've received from Christ in verse one. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? In other words, Paul's saying, if you have any concept of how God has treated you in Christ, if you have any understanding of the grace that Jesus offers and has shown to you, verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. This is the key to living in right relationship with others. It's being in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are terribly selfish, terribly, horribly selfish. And apart from him, we are destructive in our relationships with others. We tear them down constantly. Why? Because we have this clinging sense of neediness and fear that it causes us to manipulate and to to use people to get what we want. But here's the truth, and I I believe so strongly in this statement, I put it up on the screen so you can write it down if you want, so we'll leave it up there for a few seconds, but here's the truth of life. In Christ, you can give up all you have because in Christ you have everything you need. Everything. In Christ you can give up all you have because In Christ, you have everything you need. That means on this earth, you can be neglected because Christ cherishes you. On this earth, you can be poor because you're rich in Christ. You can be overlooked because you're seen by Christ. You can be a nobody, but you are somebody to Christ. In Christ, you can give up what you think you deserve. You can let go of all that you are holding on to because Christ has given you everything that you need. And it is only, only in Christ that you ever develop the attitude of being a true servant, a selfless servant. Only in Christ will you have the satisfaction and security that you innately desire that enables you to take your eyes off of yourself and start to put it towards others. Look with me in verse three. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. And man, isn't that true? We are always competing 
with each other. We're always competing with each other to make sure that our needs are met or that we are getting the recognition that we feel that we are deserved. In all of our relationships, we are constantly keeping score, especially in our marriages. We will say things in our head like, here's how much I've served you, but, but how much are you serving me? We're, we're constantly doing this in all of our relationships, and it creates this rivalry. In the King James Version, this verse reads a little differently, and in fact, it's a little bit better Uh, exact translation of the original text. It says this, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Vain glory is not really a word we use too often. So if you you trace back the the literal transliteration of the word vain glory, the Greek word is kinodoxia. I believe I said that right. I did the computer thing that tells me how to say it. And I don't know if she's right, but I copied her. Kinodoxia. And it means useless glory. It's literally useless glory. Do nothing out of this useless sense that you need to get glory or recognition. That's what this passage is saying. So let's go back. Verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Humility. It's another struggle for all of us, right? To lay down your own feelings of of deserving of whatever it is and putting others in front of you. But I want you for a second, consider this. What do you deserve really? What do you deserve? I know what I deserve. Death. I deserve hell. I deserve separation. That's that's what we deserve. Because I am unworthy of any of the love that my spouse gives to me. I'm unworthy of any of the love that my kids give to me or my friends or my neighbors, my coworkers. I'm unworthy of that love. I'm unworthy of the love that the Father in heaven gives me. But our understanding And thought process must begin with the right view of what we deserve, which is death. Because once you understand that, then you realize that anything that you receive in the form of love beyond that is grace. This is the foundation of joy in the Christian living. It is the foundation, and that is grace. In humility, you realize how much of your life is grace. So much. And once you realize that in humility, then and only then can you start to think less about yourself and more about what others deserve from you. Once you realize how insignificant you are, then you can start seeing the significance in others. Why? Because that's what Christ did for you. Christ, who was worthy, became sin for you so that you could be restored, so that you could be made right. And just like he gave you what you did not deserve, 
we should in turn give that to others. Give them what they don't deserve. And when you do that, you begin to look at people as more significant. More significant than yourself. And why, why is that? Because they deserve it? No. No, they don't deserve it either. But because Christ treated you that way, someone who is insignificant, God treated significantly. And you should do the same with those who Christ sees equally as significant. Look in verse four. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Why? Well, let's go back to verse one. Because if, if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship together in his spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes, right? Yes, there is encouragement from belonging to Christ. There is, there is comfort from his love. There is fellowship together in the spirit. Yes, we have all of those things. And if that's true, look at verse five. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What did that attitude look like? Well, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, before he would go to the cross, Jesus gathered his disciples. We celebrated that moment. We remembered that moment where Jesus broke bread and passed the cup and said, remember this bread and this this body and this blood. Before that, Jesus took a basin and a wash towel and he washed the disgusting feet of his disciples. He got down on his knees and he washed their feet. And some of the disciples tried to stop him. They said, hey, Lord, this is not your place. This is not what you should do. And he responded to them in an incredibly humbling and others-focused way. He said, after, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. If there was anyone in the history of the world who deserved to take a night off, it was Jesus the day before he was crucified. But that wasn't what he was about, right? And Jesus' service didn't stop with washing their feet, right? He went to the cross that next day voluntarily to bear the sins of the world. And when you realize this, it changes your posture. It changes your posture in all of your relationships. It changes your posture in your marriage. It changes your posture with your kids, with your parents, with your, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever. It changes your posture. Because in our spiritual journey, wherever you are on your path, when you recognize this unmerited favor that God has shown you in Christ, you begin to have a better attitude towards showing that same unmerited grace to others. 
And you might say, maybe you're just thinking, okay, Seth, I get it, but, always but, they don't deserve my, per- my service. And that's the point. You didn't deserve it from Christ either. God sees us in Christ as worthy, even though we're not. He's reckoned us as righteous, and he wants us to do the same to others. Not because we deserve it, but because that's how Christ treated us. She might say, but Seth, they're going to take advantage of me. So? You're secure enough in your faith in Christ to be taken advantage of from time to time, aren't you? Jesus was about to wash Judas's feet. Judas's feet. Judas who would betray him just hours later. Jesus knew that and he washed his feet anyway. You might say, but, but they'll get away with it. They'll get away with it and no punishment will, will, will come, of, come of it. Right. That's true. But punishment is not how Christ treated us. Jesus showed us unmerited favor. You see, here's the problem with that thinking. The world says that we change through punishment, but God says we change through unmerited favor and grace. So, now that we know these two things, we know the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants from us, what do we do? The first thing is this. Understand, first sinner, second sinned against. Let me explain. I am first a sinner, and second, I am sinned against. This means that I will never be asked to forgive someone of anything that compares to what God has forgiven me of. I will never be asked to forgive someone of anything that compares to what God has forgiven me of. Let that sink in. Because when I get my mind around that, about how great the grace of God is, then forgiving Someone else, forgiving my spouse or my kids or or anybody else, is so much easier because I realize how much I have been forgiven and how much I should forgive them because it's not about me. It's not about me. Second thing is this wash some feet. Wash some feet. Wash others with forgiveness, with service, with grace, because that's what Christ modeled for you. Our natural self says that we need to take care of us, that we need to to take the lead, to, to step on whoever we need to in order to get to that next spot. But imagine... Imagine how this community could be changed if we took us ourselves and put us put others first. We took ourselves back and we put others first. Imagine how great this community would be. Just just this little town of Magnolia if we served others first instead of thinking of ourselves. Imagine 
If I put that same group photo back up there and you weren't the first person that you looked for, but instead you looked at others and saw how they looked in the picture, that's powerful to me. You can't follow Christ if you're in the lead. And if, you'd, if you hear this and you're thinking, I, I don't know if I'm a Christ follower. I don't, I don't know I've ever made that decision. I know I haven't done anything to change the way that I've lived. I've always been in the lead because I didn't know there was anybody else to follow. Or I've tried following all these other things and all these other things led to just other self-centeredness. Jesus is different. He put you first. And so he's worthy of being followed. And so if, if that's you, if you're in here and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, then I would, I would beg you, come talk to us in the hospitality room after this. Come visit and say, I, I, I just want to know my next step. I want to know more about Jesus. We'll have pastors over there who would love to talk to you about your next step on your faith journey. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We stand in awe of you, of how great you are and how much you loved us. God, you sent Jesus to die on that cross voluntarily to take the sins of the world so that I might no longer be separated from you. Father, thank you for that. Father, help me to follow you in each and every decision, each and every relationship, in everything that I do. God, help me to lay myself down and humbly serve you and others. In Jesus' name, amen.